Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today, I just want to take a moment and thank the National Peanut Board for their kind sponsorship of today's show and for all of their support over the years. Today's podcast is very special as we honor and celebrate Food Allergy Awareness Month with a new Facts Roundtable podcast short. This podcast is a short look into the many ways that we live our teal way of life. Martha, you're known as Allergy Dragon since you host a blog and a YouTube channel that's focused on allergen-safe cooking and baking and life, and that's because you are also a specialty diet and allergy chef. In addition to this, you're also a parent of a child with food allergies and you're a patient living with celiac disease. But why you're here today is because you're fabulous, of course, but also because you run a professional food service kitchen. Your teal way of life often focuses on cross-contact. Now that we have the cross-contact expert in the house, can you go ahead and explain to listeners how you manage cross-contact and actually what is it? Oh, thank you, Caroline. It's great to be here and thank you for the great questions. So cross-contact versus cross-contamination. We're going to start with cross-contamination. So cross-contamination is... For example, if you happen to not be able to have nuts in your food and somebody's preparing the food and they actually put the nut in the actual item. And so that is cross-contamination because the food item is actually in that item that you would be eating. So that would be cross-contamination. So cross-contact is when you have an allergen or an item that shouldn't be in the food or contact with the food for safety reasons and for allergy reasons. So let's say, for instance, you're cooking chicken and you have placed raw chicken on the grill with raw tongs. So you're going to put those tongs back separate. And then you're going to select a new pair of tongs to actually take the cooked chicken out. That way you don't have any cross contact of possible foodborne illnesses. Same thing for if you have an allergen, it's a contact. So that's the many differences between cross contact and cross contamination, which is really not that big of a difference when you kind of spell it out for people. Most chefs or people in professional kitchens do actually understand those terms, cross-contact, cross-contamination, but they have a tendency to kind of group and say cross-contamination and not necessarily understand the whole gambit. So you just want to make sure when you're in a professional kitchen that they've been trained wholly to understand the difference between cross-contact, cross-contamination. It's just those verbiages get used in the wrong context when this is not necessarily that that's what they mean. So for my kitchen, I say that training is the biggest thing because no matter what things we have in place, how policies, that kind of thing, execution is the key. Those policies and procedures are only as good as the people implementing them. 
So that comes from you training your people and then making sure that they're following through with that. Not just watching a video, we need to do A, B, C and make sure that it's being checked and monitored because we all get kind of complacent, even in restaurants. So you definitely want to make sure that wherever you're eating at or whoever's managing the kitchen understands that that's what needs to be done. So in my kitchen, I have a really huge kitchen right now, and I've managed so many different kitchens throughout my life. Uh, I have done small little places, big, big places like I have now, which uh, we have plenty of room. So you have to realize that most places that we're eating at have very small kitchens. So realistically, they cannot produce the food in a separate safe environment. So they have different procedures in place to make sure that, especially with prep, to make sure that you have safe food. So we need to keep that in mind. So if you're one of those people that need to have a a separate kitchen, most places are not going to be able to accommodate you because they don't really have that space. That's a really great point, Martha. Because I know sometimes when we're trying to choose restaurants for our family to eat at, I hesitate a little bit at the smaller restaurants because I've heard from them saying, we're just so small, we can't trade pans or we don't have space like this. So this really now makes it very clear to me that some kitchens have the passion to try to make safe foods for my children, but they just might not be able to. That is definitely what I'm trying to convey with that is as chefs, most people in the service industry, we don't like to say no. At least I don't. I mean, I want you to experience my food. I want you to be fed. That's why we got into this business. But I think we should really respect it when somebody has the knowledge and the power and to go, you're not safe here. I would rather somebody tell me politely that there's no way I can guarantee that I'm going to feed you safely versus saying you should be okay. Should should never be. That's not a word of confidence. That's not a word of comfort. So when in doubt, walk away. That is a brilliant piece of wisdom. Thank you so much. Okay, so in those small spaces, since we started talking about those, one thing that I do recommend is people that have those type of kitchens, and I did it previously in some of my other kitchens, we had like an allergy cart where we would have nuts or things like that, and we would have a cart that we could wheel to and fro. And it had like the top eight because it was only eight at the time. So now we have top nine allergens. So we would have mainly the nuts and different things like that. Obviously, we wouldn't have fish on the cart, but fish would be in another place. But it would be nuts and things like that. We would probably need for a salad and that kind of thing. And so that way we could physically move it and move our item to it. And we could guarantee a little bit more safety in those small proximities. But not everybody even at that has the ability to do that. And now in these larger kitchens... I love my large kitchen. It's a pain to keep clean, but it is literally the biggest kitchen I've ever been in in my life. We kind of yell at each other too. I mean, we yell anyway in a regular kitchen, but you're yelling, hey, (laughs) do you hear me? Because it's going to take me a couple minutes to get over there. Uh, But the beauty of a bigger kitchen or having multiple kitchens is you can have a space that is completely top nine allergy friendly that you can you know, definitely contain and know that nothing in these top nine is over here. Now we have the people that are like me and my youngest that have multiple allergies and things that go outside of the realm of top nine. So we still need to be able to serve those people because you can be allergic to any foods. So for us, people have heard the chef term maze place and where I never can say it right, but basically it just means put everything in its place and where it belongs. So if they are doing that, and they are using the correct technique, washing their hands, changing gloves, 
you know, fresh utensils every time, a fresh pan. So in some incidences, they may even have to make your food last. So that would maybe mean that your party's food might come out beforehand. So when I'm running my kitchen, one of the things that I tried to think about, like I said before, I'll bring back training purposes. And that also includes cleaning. So some many people, they'll say, oh, I sanitized that, but they forget to clean it. So we have to clean it and sanitize a section. So that means everything, every time in between each item, because anything can be an allergen or you can have cross contact from anything. So in most cases, if you were cutting your vegetables, you know, we clean everything off, sanitize, and then you would get a new cutting board for your meat because you definitely wouldn't be cutting that on the exact same cutting board. And that's the best way I can explain it as far as prepping. And so, like I said, with my really huge kitchen, I have a space that's just vegetables. I have a space that's just meats. And then we have a space that is just allergen friendly. So for at least the top nine. But realistically, most kitchens can't do it. But now if you're like on some of these big hotels or places like that, a lot of times they have bigger kitchens or can have sub kitchens that they can actually do that. Martha, can you tell us the difference between cleaning a pan out and sanitizing a pan? Oh, yes. So if we're going to wash an item, and it's different in most states, but we use a three compartment sink and you're going to literally put your pan, you're going to rinse it out. You're going to wash it in the soap and water, 165 degrees minimum usually. And to sanitize it without a chemical, it has to reach over 180 degrees. So you want to wash, rinse, sanitize. So we are really lucky because we actually have a huge dishwasher, which just feeds in. A lot of places don't have that. So they would wash in a three compartment sink, but they need to at least minimum wash, rinse, and sanitize. Because if you just simply rinse something out, you're washing off some of the particles, but you're not guaranteeing that you're getting them off because the soap really has to get in there and help pull it off. Same thing if you're sanitizing a counter. If you just use sanitizer, gluing it to the counter, Or if you're just using sanitizer on your hands, you're just gluing that allergen on your hand. You're not washing it off. So you have to do that with surfaces, every surface, and hand. And if when in doubt, just get a clean one. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So before we sign off today, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? I have a few words of wisdom. I will say first, if you are going to go eat out somewhere, the best thing to do is to call ahead, make plans ahead. We really appreciate it as chefs and culinary. We want to serve you. And sometimes it takes us longer to figure out how to serve you. may take us an hour or two, but we get passionate about it. We get excited about it, but we need the lead time. Because if you come up to me, I am have too many people standing in line behind you, and I got to get their food out, and I'm trying to think of ways to make sure you're safe. I'm going to be a little bit more closed-minded because I have so much there that I need to take care of. So please call ahead, make plans ahead. We are planners. And then the proof is in the pudding when it comes to dining out too. So read reviews, talk to your friends. We will let you know if it's good, if it's bad, whatever happened. Thank goodness for this allergy community and so many apps that are out there now. So those are my words of wisdom. And the other thing is if you don't feel comfortable, whether it be where you're living at and how somebody's doing something, voice it and let them know that that's not cool and we need to change this. So open communication. And if you don't feel safe wherever you're at, as far as like who's serving you food, then just leave. 
it speaks more volumes than you screaming or anything else, because guess what? That's money walking out their door. Excellent advice, Martha. Thank you so much for your time. And listeners, I will make sure you will know how to follow Martha. I'll get all her social media handles, how to find her blog, how to find her YouTube channel. Again, thank you, Martha, for sharing your teal way of life with us. Have a wonderful day. And thank you again for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Before we say goodbye, I just want to take a moment to say thank you once again to the National Peanut Board for sponsoring today's highly informative show. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.